Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the No Fluff Actionable Marketing Podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to build a blog on the side and generate traffic and income from it. It's not a get-rich-quick type of episode, I promise you. It's going to take way longer than you think it is, and it's going to be way more difficult than you think it is. My guest today is a writer, part-time entrepreneur, a content marketing consultant. He worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies and top startups, like you probably know LinkedIn, you probably know Google, Adobe, where he's worked for them. He's developed a business on the side and has now more than 400,000 monthly readers on his blog. He also has a podcast called The Side Hustle Project. So that's why I think he's one of the best uh, people to talk about this very topic with me. So Ryan Robinson, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Very welcome. Uh, so let's reassure everyone, right? As I said in the intro, it's not a get-rich-quick type of episode, right? Absolutely not. It's uh, get-rich-slowly, I would say, or get you know moderately decent income slowly. <laughs> it's a yeah. six-year journey. That's the best promise we can make, right? To be non-shady, yeah. non-aggressive is... So you're not you're unlikely to make a ton shit ton of money, and it's likely going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear as well, I think a lot of people listening are not necessarily on their own. They don't they don't necessarily want to do their own side project. They might be part of a bigger company. They might want to develop a, their blog further. They want to might they might want to restart their entire blog strategy because it's not going anywhere. And I think this episode should be quite helpful for them as well, right? Absolutely. So before we dive into that. Tell me, you've been talking about this for a long time. You mentioned six years. You've been doing it yourself. What are the biggest misconceptions that are there in terms of blogging, writing, writing on a blog, publishing blog posts and whatnot? I do think the biggest misconception is that it's easy. And let's break up what easy means, right? Because we have easy to create content. We have easy to get readers and we have easy to monetize. And those are kind of the three like big buckets of blogging for me is the, the content creation, actually getting people into your site, and then actually monetizing somehow. And I would say that none of those three things are easy. I think that, you know, I came into blogging for myself by being a content marketer for other startups for, you know, five years leading up to really taking my own blog seriously. So I got kind of, you know, my journey was being paid as a content marketer to build my skills and like better position myself to get success with my own blog too. So I think it's really kind of, uh, you know, uh, this this story of like investing and building the right skills, laying the foundation slowly and doing the things that I learned were working at my day job over on my personal blog too. So I kind of have, you know, that unique context where I'm starting. And just to be clear, so you had, you were in a content marketing position before you started the blog or was it at the same time? What was the timeline there? It was more or less the same time. I, I first started my blog, you know, registered my domain name 10 years ago. And for the first few years, it was just this dumb, you know, Tumblr blog of like lifestyle, fashion, you know, nothing like what it looks like today. And I I really didn't pivot to my current iteration of the blog that's kind of about marketing, side projects, blogging until about six years ago. So that's kind of what I would say is my my true starting point. And at that point in time, I had just landed a job working at Creative Live, which was an online education company. They have got thousands of classes and I was getting to work with their business catalog of content, working with cool instructors who came through, people like Ramit Sethi, you know, Derek Halpern, Lewis Howes, a lot of like big names and kind of like the 
the online money, online business space, I guess you could say. And I was working with them to create content and basically just drive traffic to their class pages. So I got to learn a lot about even my own specific industry from these people, which was cool. Yeah, so you've, you've, you've developed those skills by working with them, having a full-time job, and you were writing then blog posts on your own, developing the blog on your own, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I got this cool relationship with my boss, I want to say. like It was very important at the time, too, to like be very clear about what my side project is, you know, what I want to do. Here are kind of the guidelines too. Like, I don't want to, you know, work on this while I'm at work. I won't use company property. Like, establishing those guidelines was really important for me. Another aspect of this podcast and, and everyone has marketer as a as an idea, I would say, is the fact that you know those episodes are meant to be listened to now, but also hopefully in five or ten years it should still be relevant, right? And I've read a few times before, like any other topic in marketing world, anyway. That is blogging dead? You know, are you, everyone's going to start listening to fucking podcasts now and stop reading blog posts. So where do you think this is going? Like as a blog, the blog as a format, do you feel it's going to be replaced by anything in 10 years? If someone listens to that in 2029, are they not going to understand what a blog even is? What, what, are, what are your views on this? I don't think it's going to be replaced. I think that, you know, maybe the biggest change that could come to blogging is that people will be doing a much more broad diversity of content mediums, delivering their content instead of just written content in podcast form, in video form, and written form all in one. And if you want to look at someone who I think is a great example of this, you know, I'm personally not there yet where I want to be as far as like how many videos I'm doing alongside written content. But Mark Manson, the writer of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, amazing book, by the way, but on his blog, he takes all of his best posts and he does an audio version of that where he's reading the article, essentially. And there's a little play button at the top of the article. Um, and so I think that's a great example of where I envision a lot of content marketing and blogging going in the future is that accessibility, giving people more options and a more diverse way to consume your content is a major trend. And I think also it's important to say that Google owns YouTube YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world. And what I've noticed a lot recently, this is, you know, we're in late summer 2019 here. Whenever I record a YouTube video on the exact same topic that I just published a written post about on my blog, and then embed that video within my written blog post, I notice that that video gets a lot more views, first of all, because my blog gets readers. And because of that, the video will rise in YouTube organic search rankings. And then there's there's some sort of, I'm convinced, there's some sort of connection behind the scenes too, where both Google and YouTube want to reward that behavior of, you know, we linking to YouTube from your website and vice versa. So I'm, I'm very convinced that that's going to be a future direction, video being more and more hot. And I think, you know, we're in the middle of a podcast revolution too, where, <laughs> where that's coming back. People love consuming content in a more, I think, passive way than just like sitting down buckling your seatbelt and reading, you know, a 10,000 word article. I don't think that that's the best way to deliver the absolute most impact to people. So I'd say, yeah, diversifying content mediums. Yeah. And, and to go back to what you said, maybe in 10 years time, YouTube is going to be you know, replaced by something else. And maybe Google is yeah. going to be taken down and, and turned into pieces to make sure that they don't become a massive monopoly like they are right now. So we never know. But the principle of what you're saying still stands in the sense that we are 
curious creators. We we are getting busier. We have a lot of technology in our hands now with smartphones, and it looks like like mediums that are or format that are a bit more interactive are gonna you know take over more and more. And that's what you know people are looking for: more personalization, more voice, more audio, more video. So again, what we're saying here is those trends are going to keep going on because it's based on people's behavior and their psychology, not just based on best practices that are relevant into 2019 and, and not after that. So I want to come back to one the question I asked you before. Maybe you have another thing you want to share. Apart from being easy, you would say the second biggest misconception around like blogging or content marketing you see out there. I mean, easy is obviously the biggest one. I think like you know, another angle that you could take with content marketing is that a lot of people think that you can jump into it and like create a full business, right? So this is more speaking to the people who are wanting to launch their own side projects. Um, for me, it took six years of momentum really to get to a point where I've created a true business out of blogging. You look at people who are like influencers on Instagram or, you know, have been in blogging for 10 years, 15 years, right? It's the exception is very few and far between someone who can build a real true business around a blog. So I personally took the approach of, you know, the past five years, this basically just being a supplement to my income um, and a way for me to open up the door and do other freelance projects. So I, I kind of came from this background of doing lots of freelance work. And for the longest time, my blog was really just lead generation for my freelance business until more passive sources of income like slowly began to pick up and I I learned and I observed and I saw what was working for other people too. So I think, yeah, that's that's really the two biggest ones I would say. And you mentioned the P word there, passive income, right? Which I'm I'm gonna tell you my point of view of passive income and it's telling you what you think. But I think it's the one of the worst fucking two words out there because it implies <laughs> that it's passive. Which is not, as you said, like you are testament to that six fucking years working on this on the side, yeah. on top of your full-time job. I mean, that takes commitment. It's 72 fucking months. That's more than 2,300 fucking days of like, you know, working <laughs> on that on the side without... And it's still not passive today. Right, exactly. So much work still goes into it. <laughs> so smart, like passive income, fuck this. I think as an idea, I, I, I wish we could stop talking about it because it gives, it gives some bad rep to what it actually takes to make money in this day and age and to build a decent business. I just wanted to say that because, you know, I, as you know, I'm very opinionated. So just wanted to mention that because, yeah, don't expect this. Don't expect this to work passively. Uh, you need to maintain your stuff. You need to rewrite some articles. You need to keep promoting them. You need to repurpose them, republish them, reach out to people, interview. I mean, it's just there's no passivity uh, in uh, in making money online nowadays. So you started to mention this which I think is quite interesting. Your personal story, right? You went from, I mean, zero to 400, 500,000 monthly readers on your blog. Now, this episode, I don't want it necessarily to be how you've done it and having this survivorship bias where let's copy everything you've done because it's going to work for me. Because, you know, you might be one survi survivor out of 1,000 who tried. We might not know why it worked. Instead, what would be interesting to hear from you is really from your perspective now, what do you think people listening right now, whether they have a project to do a side project with their blog or they are working in a company and their blog is not working, what do you think are the steps required to have a decent chance of making it work, you know, from your perspective, based on the mistake you made and the lesson you learned? So why don't we start with 
again, maybe you need to take one particular example to, to explain your steps. But again, this concept of I want to launch a blog or at least I have a blog that is not working, whether it's a company or a personal blog. What is step one? What do you advise to do? This would be based on trying a lot of shit over the past six years. I would eliminate 90% of what I've tried. The number one thing that I would recommend doing, and this is what I do today, this is what I focus most of my time on today, is guest posting. So I try and approach the content creation rule as more of like an 80-20 approach for me. So I want to spend 20% of my time creating the content for my blog. And that sets a pretty high bar because now most of what I publish tends to be 5,000 words or more in length. So that alone takes a long period of time for me, usually, you know, two, three days of writing, right? Getting, getting up, coming back to it with fresh eyes, editing images, videos, like putting together a post that large takes a lot of time. And I take the approach of saying, all right, whatever that amount of time was, call it 10 hours, that's going to be my 20%. Now I want to spend 80% of my time, right? So 40 more hours promoting this article. And the best vehicle for promotion of an article today, for me at least, is guest blogging. And that's going to be reaching out to other sites that have a high domain authority. You know, they're relevant to my niche, which tends to be blogging, content marketing, and then pitching them on accepting a guest post from me or having, you know, established relationships. You want to talk about the advantage of doing this for six years is that I now know a lot of people in this space. And so I can reach out and ping ping someone at, you know, like a blog like Aweber or add this something in the like marketing space and say, hey, would you be up for another guest post from me? And the benefits of the guest posting, obviously, are tending to be referral traffic. So you can get some readers from those other sites that have larger audiences back to your own blog. And you can get some of those people to, you know, join your email list or take other actions on your site to download an app, whatever that may be. But really what I'm talking about as the number one win from guest blogging is getting high quality natural links by doing guest posts on other sites. That way you point back to, you know, your article you just published and, you know, that's a positive SEO side effect of guest blogging. So that's what I'm investing essentially all of my promotion time in. I don't do Facebook ads. I don't really spend a lot of time trying to create like a social media movement around new articles I publish. Um, I'm investing pretty much everything in guest blogging right now. And so to deconstruct that a bit, there are two things, right? The first one is like creating relationship with people, building relationship with people, getting them to to publish your content is a good way to, yeah, to build relationship. Um, from experience, though, what I can see is that traffic from referral, like so from, from this guest post is kind of not as much as you would actually hope. You don't have that many people yeah. clicking on links, right? Like, let's be honest with each other, even if you have shit ton of yeah. volume on this traffic. So what it seems to be boiled down to is really using guest posts as a segue to, to get links as a segue to tell Google, listen, this article is good because people are linking yeah. to it, right? And so we've talked about that. That's the primary benefit. We've talked about that and, and SEO quite a lot on this podcast and as a, as a way to think about it long-term as well. There is still no better way for Google to understand the value of a page than the links it gets, right? And that's the, the issue I think they're facing. They wish they could replace it with something else. They can't fucking do it that. It is unfortunate, I will right? say. Because it's the only currency, right? And they could judge it by how, many, uh, how long do people stay on the page. They are already using that a bit. 
they can try to make it as good as a user experience as possible, but it still works. And I, it's unlikely that if we change in the next two, five years, that getting links is actually the currency, the number one currency to get your post being found. So if I'm understanding what you're saying, right, and please correct me if I'm wrong, guest post for you is really a way to get some good links from good domains back to the, the post you want to you rank for. Right. And the ultimate goal is, you know, boosting your own organic search rankings as a result of getting all those links, right? Because the referral traffic is very few and far between. Like I, I contribute to some publications like Forbes, Business Insider, Fast Company. And, you know, let's say I write for one of those sites a week. It's maybe once every two months that I'll see any sort of like meaningful surge in traffic. Meaningful being like a couple hundred people over mm-hmm. a couple of days once a post goes live. So it's it's really just kind of a trickle. Um, it does build up over time. If you if you can like publish some truly great guest posts or publication column pieces that end up ranking well themselves and they can kind of funnel people from Google to Forbes to your blog. And this is kind of a, there's a big waterfall drop-off effect to that to where no matter what, you're very, very rarely going to see a lot of referral traffic from guest posting. So yeah, I, primarily for SEO benefit. And I want to come back to one site. I mean, you mentioned Forbes. I just want to make a, a small a small uh, comment on this, right? Maybe in five years, 10 years, Forbes are going to get their shit together again and publish uh, very high quality content all the time. But let's be honest as well. It's a bit of a shit show at the minute, right? This site, it's getting worse, isn't it? <laughs> I think as, as the floodgates of new contributors open, um, they've taken tons of new writers over the past couple of years. So yes. It gets, I'd, I'd say, steadily lower quality on all the publications. I mean, I, I, I'd say I feel that way about most. Fast Company, I actually really, really like still, and I feel like they publish high-quality content consistently, but they have a different model, right? Like with them, whenever I publish something, I have to pitch an editor individually on every single story. You know, they review the pitch with me, they work with me on an outline, they thoroughly edit and make something a better article than what I turn into them. So it's a different editorial process than with like Forbes Entrepreneur Inc. They all have, you know, their own CMS behind the scenes for writers to just pop in, publish, um, you know, more or less what they want. They have quality control. I'm air quoting um, (laughs) that that checks some of this stuff out um, after it goes live, though, which means there's kind of a lesser chance that something actually happens. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm making a bet here. I wouldn't be surprised if Google start to seriously penalize those sites in the future because it's getting yeah, it's getting ridiculous. So a lot of companies now, like independent companies who are doing content marketing quite well in their own field, seem to produce really good articles. And if you pitch to them instead, they tend to have editors in place. They tend to have better guidelines in place and it might be more beneficial for you in the long term, right? So anyway, so guest posting. I actually was hoping that you would mention something else first, right? Because I know you talk about this. So let's say you get to work with a company that has almost no organic traffic on their blog. It's not working out, right? Wouldn't you say that one of the key reasons is that their positioning or the way their blog is like, it's not targeting her in particular, therefore it's, it's, it's not like, do you think that the first step really to get their shit together should be actually the, yeah, positioning the blog properly so that it stands out? Yeah, I think definitely picking a very clear niche and knowing who your audience is 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 a major part before you even really get started publishing content because you can be you can be 
creating something so generic that it doesn't resonate with anyone. Um, and recently, I've kind of, you know, been slapped in the face with my own experience on my blog lately. I, I kind of have this broad range of content on my site, ranging from, you know, side projects, entrepreneurship, business advice, content marketing, blogging, productivity, um, you know, call it 10 bucket categories, right? Um, I got slapped by Google this summer um, with kind of a, a major drop in traffic from a recent algorithm update they pushed that is favoring niche websites. So, um, you know, I lost some search rankings um, on a couple of topics, uh, basically because I think my blog was viewed as a generalist site um, versus uh, you know, looking at the rankings that fell down and some of the the competitors that replaced my rankings, um, those sites had, you know, a couple hundred articles about this specific, you know, topic A, let's call it. So for me, that was a really big lesson. And I'm shifting gears to focusing on just one niche um, with my site moving forward. And I've seen working with lots of different client companies over the years, too, that, you know, the for example, with Close, uh, the CRM company, they publish literally only stuff about sales on their blog. And they they have seen no dip in traffic um, this year because their content is all about sales. And Google says, hey, this site is an expert at sales. And so I think there's a lot to be said about kind of that. I think it's Google's EAT. Um, what is it? Authoritativeness, trustworthiness. Um, I forget what the E stands for. Um, but it's it's Expertise. basically kind of a... The expertise. There we go. It's a measure of, you know, how expert you are within your niche and how trustworthy that your site possibly can be. So that was a major lesson, I think, for me. Um, but I would say that's a lesson that any bloggers can take away today is that if you're basically going 100% down one specific niche, you're going to just create a more meaningful experience for the people that do come to your blog versus if you're you know, talking about productivity one day and then marketing the other day. Um, sure, there might be some overlap in there, but you're not going to create like a loyal readership of people who are excited to come to you for, you know, this one or two specific thing. So how would you advise people to go about it? Because finding a particular topic is one thing, right? But it's it may be not enough to, to actually have a voice that stands out because any, I mean, no disrespect to anyone listening, but any idiot can pick a topic, right? Any idiot can pick sales or marketing <laughs> or fucking passive income if they want to as a topic. It's hardly going to make them stand out given the size of the niche, right? So what is your advice to go yeah. further and say, okay, I, we have something that is quite unique there. If we manage to have our own voice and do proper SEO, we might get somewhere. <laughs> well, the first thing is that you have to actually fucking care about it. Otherwise you're going to get so damn bored trying to come up with like, you know, blog post ideas that that have proven traffic of demand. Um, people can read through what I think thin content is um, or content that's kind of bullshitty, um, you know, not coming from a place of like, I have done this or I care enough about this to go out and research and interview other people in the niche who, you know, maybe have the experience that I don't have in order to like bolster a particular point within an article. So if you approach it more from like, a, you know, your content as like a journalistic standpoint, um, I think that's what I try and strive to do. Um, and I would never choose a niche to blog about that I don't personally have an interest in because there are always going to be days 
where I'm, you know, tired or not feeling super motivated, but I have, you know, an internal deadline for pushing out an article I want to push out. And if I don't have that actual genuine interest in the content topic itself, like I find that whenever I've tried doing that, um, I push the published date out for another week and then another week and another week after that. And then like I, I've had this realization of like, oh shit, I'm never going to publish this because <laughs> it feels hard. Like I don't find, you know, like a connection to the content topics. And so it's a lesson that I wouldn't say I've, I'm immune to myself. I've learned it the hard way. Um, but for now I would say, yeah, like if you, if you aren't creating content on topics that you actually care about yourself, um, you're never gonna truly make it in the long term over the course of years. I think you can have like, you know, little spikes of success, but it's not going to be a sustainable business. Um, in my opinion, you can do all the right things like keyword research, keyword analysis, guest blogging to build links, um, doing all these things will, will prop you up, I think in the short term, but no, it's, it's just going to take a lot more than just the tactics to sustain something over the long haul. Yeah, I'm glad you answered it this way because, I mean, you're a testament to that six years. I think we've interviewed uh, Tommy Griffiths from clickminded.com and same thing, his side business, he ran it for like seven fucking years before leaving. And yeah, like my podcast has only been, I mean, only uh, almost three years at this stage. But yeah, if I, if I didn't care enough about marketing, I would have stopped a long time ago. Publishing one episode every fucking week without fail. You know, when you're down, when you're burned out a bit, when you have no time, when it's like six o'clock in the evening, you have to interview a new guest. What it takes is this passion for like giving a shit for the subject, right? Yeah. And maybe we should go down one rabbit hole like further, like one hole even deeper. How do you then find out what you give a shit about? Because I know that some people mm -hmm. are quite close about it, right? So how, what, what do you advise to do on this? I mean, honestly, I think this journey can be different for everyone. So I want to caveat that like you, you only have, you know, a set number of things that you can spend your time on in life, right? So if you're, if you're at work and you don't like your job, um, look at why you don't like your job. Is it your boss that sucks? Is it the, the exact role you're doing? Or is it, you know, the, the subject matter itself? Like if you work at an online education company, do you care about online education, right? Is that something that you're actually interested in yourself? Um, so, so try and pinpoint, I'd say, you know, starting with work, right? Because you spend, a, you know, what, a third of your life at work. Um, pinpoint what you do and do not like about your job. Um, is there an industry sort of within there that you do like? Um, but I would say also look at how you spend your time, how you spend your money. Like what are the things that you go out of your way to do on vacation or you know, if you go to baseball games every weekend that you have an opportunity to, is there a way to create some sort of, you know, blog around baseball related topics? Um, I would just sort of start by trying to take an objective look at what you care about personally. And, and it doesn't need to be an obvious connection to, you know, how you're going to make money from that website um, today. I don't think that's the point of the activity of just starting to find what your topic could be um, it's it's going to happen more organically or over time eventually, right? Um, but yeah, I would just start with hobbies, how you want to spend your time. Like what, what are the things you do on vacation? Um, that's kind of like where I've gone at myself, um, just enjoying when I have free time writing for my blog. Um, you know, ideally it'd be without like some sort of keyword phrase in mind already. Um, 
But I, I now try and take the approach of like thinking about gaps in my current content. It's not where I was when I started, um, but when I first started, I was sort of like going through, what do I like talking about? What are the questions that people ask me because they feel I could be an expert resource at? Um, and looking at my own experience as well. So I think lots of different angles you could sort of take to answering this question. There's no like bulletproof right answer on how to find that for yourself. But I think those are those are some of the ways that I would start at least. Yeah, from my perspective, what worked in the past was to look at what energizes me the most. So in terms of what are the things that, that I start to do at the end of it, I'm more energized than at the start, right? And the contrary to that, what are the things that I, when I start to do, I'm energized and then at the end I'm not, it's usually a good sign of something that I've not really should, should double down on. And that's tough, right? That's tough to find that. And it, it takes, yeah. it takes years to, to figure it out. I suppose some people never figure it out. Um, and so it's okay if you're being feeling lost right now, uh, if you're like letting your twenties or even thirties or forties takes time to figure things out, but you need to be in tune with yourself a bit more. One thing I keep repeating on episodes actually work uh, for, for people is this asking your friends and colleagues about it. What do they think you're the best in the world at? What do you think are your top strengths? And you'll get clarity from them quite a lot because they see you from the perspective of the outside of your own self, which could be helpful, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, looking at my own story, for example, too, the first real post I published on my blog was an answer to a question that people kept asking me. So I, during college, I had this side business built around this product I invented called the iStash. It was an iPhone lookalike, hide your anything device, discreetly designed to cigarette-shaped objects, let's say, <laughs> into music festivals, things like that. And that business kind of imploded, failed, ended up losing a little bit of money on it. But after that experience, because I actually did something, I actually tried to build a business, um, all of my friends who were interested in business wanted to talk about business. Um, you know, how I found a manufacturer in China, how I got distributors um, to sell in smoke shops in California. Um, so I got all these kinds of very interesting questions just because of the experience that I have. And that was, that was kind of the foundation of my first pieces of content were answering those real questions people were asking me. I think, I think that goes to the core too of like, what your friends and families think of you um, or think you're good at, what their sort of observations are of you. That can be a good starting point. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. So we've talked on two, talked about two things, the guest posting. We've also talked about finding a niche. And, and also, I think on the side, even though we, I'm not sure we will have time to talk about it in more detail, it's like SEO research in terms of what are people actually searching for? What do they have in their head? What problems or questions do they Google? And then finding ways to write about that. So we, we interviewed people on this podcast before on this. So I, I, don't, I don't think we should go into more detail. What I'm actually interested in talking to you more about, and we can consider it to be step three, I would say, is I think it's a, one of the best kept secrets online, uh, in a sense. I don't, I don't know if many listeners know that this is what happens a lot on blogs and, and like big blogs and big sites. The fact that actually a lot of the people authoring their authoring the, the blog posts are actually not the writers of the blog posts, right? Which would be called like ghostwriting or whatnot. So I was actually like a few years ago super fucking naive. I thought I thought that everyone <laughs> authoring their own blog, you know, you're laughing at me. Most of the people authoring their blog, uh, their blog posts will actually write the fucking thing. And uh, it's not true, right? You can go quite close to having your own voice and to have someone write it for you and really sound like it's you. 
So tell me more about this, this concept of like having freelance writers to help you scale. Yeah, this is something that, um, you know, I think a lot of people are, are uh, very surprised by. And it always kind of blows my mind because I've been in this as an insider for so long. Um, but yeah, I've used ghostwriters on my own content for, you know, really, let's say the past year. Um, occasionally here and there, I would do it beforehand. Um, but for the first at least four years, five years of my blog, I was, I was truly writing everything myself. Um, I would have like editors help me. Um, but in, in growing my blog to the point that I've got it today, um, I see the need for publishing a hell of a lot more content, way more than I could write for myself, especially as I had a full-time job up until, you know, earlier this summer. Um, so yeah, I, I've taken the opposite approach of instead of using editors, I now outsource what I like to call first drafts. So I'll work with a writer to say, hey, here's the title of the article I want to do. Here's what I was thinking would be a rough outline, everything we should cover. Um, and then here are some examples of other articles already out there on this topic. So you can see what the main points are, what we should be hitting. Um, and then from there, I kind of like set them loose. I say, hey, ask me any questions you got um, as you're going. But I basically um, send my writers out to create a 2,000, 3,000 word first draft of an article. And then that's that's when I usually step in after they deliver that first draft, um, unless it kind of like misses the mark big, big time, um, I'll hop in um, by making it more in depth, adding my own examples, injecting my own voice, doing, you know, screenshots from the back end of my sites um, that kind of like support examples, things like that. So I, I, uh, I guess what I publish is kind of like an amalgamation of myself and another writer nowadays. Um, but it's something where you know, I wouldn't be able to scale my content creation without going this approach. Um, so it's kind of been like this, I guess, um, I guess you could call it necessary evil, although I don't feel bad about it because I don't feel like I'm trying to mislead readers in any sense. I think it's just kind of the, the natural evolution of growing a website, you know, essentially beyond myself. And you'll start to see when a lot of bloggers get, you know, let's say big, they they start to refer in their content with more of like the proverbial we or us instead of the like I, me kind of approach. And that's when you when you definitely know there's kind of a shift towards, you know, someone who has a team behind the scenes, though. Don't don't be fooled. Neil Patel does not write all of his content himself. Uh, he's got a, was, he's got an army. <laughs> I was sure you'd mentioned that because that's a typical example, right? And he's I a pro. Uh, yeah, he's a pro. I wouldn't think it's shady either, right? And I think here's why. As long as you control, I think, the narrative, as you said, the outline, the overline goal, as long as you control like the reason why I'm going to write this, and as long as you're retaining your voice. So one thing that I like to do for this uh, use case is actually recording, because I prefer to speak rather than write, I'd actually record my thought on a full outline and just keep it 100% natural. And then having someone else writing it at least the first draft for me and be me editing it to make sure it sounds like me. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about just 10 minutes ago about focusing on your strength and what energizes you. Like writing, yeah. I fucking hate it. I don't like it. So I'd much rather <laughs> rant in front of a microphone for 15 minutes. I have no problem doing that, right? So I think you need to make peace with it. If you know that blogging is, is a channel that you want to use, but you don't like writing, it sounds like, you know, if you have budget for it, 
having freelance writers to help you out, as long as you control the narrative and they are able to, to have your voice, and that you look at the blog post before it's published to make sure it sounds okay and it sounds like you, then I don't see anything shady. Where I think the shadiness starts to appear is when whoever owns the blog has no fucking control whatsoever in terms of what is being posted for them. And it just sounds so fucking different from who they are. Sounds very odd and grammatically incorrect and all of that. Yeah. Like if you don't have any sort of, you know, personal like fire to say like, hey, this is the topic that we need to write about. This is the angle I want to have. These are the main points I want to have. Like if you're doing that approach to ghostwriting, um, then I think it's a little more inauthentic. And I think also over time, people will kind of see through that sort of stuff. Um, I'm, I have a lot of respect for Neil for the type of business that he's been able to build. Um, and he's like amazingly good at building that type of content business, right? Like he's done a lot of seriously impressive shit. Um, but I think a lot of his content um, doesn't really necessarily feel or sound like him anymore. Um, I think some of his early stuff, he definitely clearly wrote himself. But if you, if you've been following him for five or 10 years, you can kind of like chart a course where, where, you know, the volume of content went through the roof. Um, but it doesn't feel as like as much of like a fire, right? I feel like when you're reading something, that someone wrote with like true passion. They're not just paying, being paid a couple hundred bucks to bang out a couple thousand words. It's a very different experience as a reader. Yeah, this fire is, is intangible. It's really difficult to understand what you mean unless you write the difference. But as you said, inserting your own thought and thought process into it, your own experiences, actual screenshots, uh, like using one-liners that show your emotions and Ranting like we're doing right now, like it doesn't have to be fucking perfect SEO optimized 100% of the time. Like, fuck this, you know, at the end of the day, we are, we are humans. And, yeah. you know, if you need to write like you talk to a certain, to a certain extent. So how, how do you advise folks to, to actually find good writers who can capture your, your voice and who actually understand this concept? It's definitely not easy. The best writers that I've gotten the opportunity to work with are people that um, I was either introduced to. Um, so I got to meet them through different works, uh, different work projects I was doing, or, you know, a coworker knew them. Um, but essentially, like the the best writers I've been able to work with are, are people that have worked with and written for, like, you know, very well-funded startups. Um, so they're not people that I can afford to have writing all the time for me. I kind of like got to be really choosy about like, all right, this is a really, you know, comprehensive topic. Um, it's going to be high value for me. I'll see a return within six to 12 months on it. Um, so yes, I can afford to, you know, pay this really good writer a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks, whatever it may be. Um, so if you want to go for quality, which is what I recommend, I think it's best to ask for referrals. Um, um, I have had some success with posting on the pro blogger job board. Um, I was actually really surprised in the level of quality for some of the pitches um, that came through. There's a, it's, it's so high volume. I think I got like maybe 150 applications for people Whoa. who wanted to like write for me. And I ended up testing out, say, 10 of the people. And of the 10, I found two that I still currently write with. But that took a shitload of time and effort and like 
you know, me doing this really time intensive process of like outlining an article with each of them, getting a first draft, really, truly reading it. Um, when, when I go through the process of editing, seeing if it's something that I can actually publish. Um, so it's, it's very time intensive, I would say, to find good writers, um, especially when you go to the job boards. But I, th I think pro bloggers probably my favorite, I guess you could say. Um, aside from referrals, I'll always ask for referrals first. And there's, there's tons of, you know, good Facebook groups and Slack groups out there too, where, where talented writers hang out. But I also like to kind of look at the sites that I want to be published on and see who some of those writers are who've done guest posts for those sites. Um, and then kind of just go down the rabbit hole of, you know, reading their personal blogs or checking out some of the other stuff they've written. So yeah, I'd say the overarching theme here is that it takes a lot of time. Yeah, it's a, it's a bitch. Uh, it takes time, but it's I think it's worth it if if you know how to to really control the flow and the angle. So as you said, you need to make sure you have a good angle. You need to make sure you have you work on a clear outline, which is basically the skeleton of the article, right? The story fits mm -hmm. like you. You need to make sure they understand your tone of voice. So you need to send them examples if possible, of articles you've written and podcast episodes you've been on to or YouTube videos or whatever else or conference talks. And then you need to look at, uh, like if possible, what I think worked really well for me in the past was really this audio style outline where they can't really go wrong in terms of the tone because like I'm actually going through the article. Um, that worked for me. Uh, and then, as you said, finally, like looking for, for, for writers that you actually read stuff from and, and actually getting in touch to see what other rates, but yeah, it's not cheap, right? And if you get something no. like and 50, it be. <laughs> yeah, $50 an article or whatnot, like fucking run, right? It's, it, it, that's, it's, it's not, it's not going to be valuable yeah. for you, right? It'll always be too good to be true when writers tell you that it'll cost 50 bucks or hundred bucks to write, you know, something that's a couple thousand words. Um, you're just going to spend more time editing it than you would have spent writing it yourself. Um, yeah. so I think it's very worthwhile to hire writers who command a premium price because they deliver a premium product. So do your homework, look at their actual work samples, um, and don't be afraid to actually spend a meaningful amount of money um, for something that you're hoping to get a financial return on yourself one day. On the topic of things that are not super known from the wider like public, beside this very topic, is there anything else that springs to mind? Like Anything that you think most listeners listening to this right now might not know? That is valuable. I think something, yeah, another thing I'd want to highlight, um, we did touch on it earlier, um, you know, backlinks being the biggest signal for Google to see what kind of content is authoritative. I want to really highlight this because <laughs> it's something that cannot be understated. I've seen so many sites out recently um, that are honestly producing pretty shit quality, <laughs> um, but have a team of a fuckload of people who just build backlinks all the time. And they're still being rewarded for that approach. I think that that is something that Google wants to get rid of and do away with. They've known it's a problem for, you know, since their search algorithm has been around, they've known it's a problem um, because that's how they try and favor websites. But um, it's still working today. It's probably still going to be working for the next two to five years. Um, so tastefully building as many high quality backlinks as you can through doing like actual genuine content, not just like paying for links or like buying expired domains to redirect to your website. Like there's a lot of sort of 
tactic-y, shady shit out there um, that I do see working really well today for reasons unbeknownst to me. Um, but I think that that's not a future-proof way no. to grow your site. I think guest blogging is pretty much the only, um, let's call it semi-authentic way to get quality backlinks to your site. Um, if you look at Google's actual guidelines on this kind of stuff, they they technically kind of discourage something like guest blogging even um, when it's for the purpose of you know link building. Um, but I think that that's the only future-proof way to do it because a lot of these sites that are like propped up by you know a shitload of just crazy links that they've bought or expired domains they've acquired like that that kind of stuff i think is gonna go away hopefully yeah yeah. (laughs) within the next five years i hope so and i mean there's you wouldn't believe the dark fucking businesses out there selling you backlinks from like any domains authority like the 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 popularity of 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 a domain you can buy back things from 50 quid, 100 quid. I mean, it's fucking insane. As you said, there's also teams of people reaching out to other blogs and say, hey, you've written about this topic. Can you write, can you link to me instead? What I found to, work, to be working, and I think if, even if Google consider backlinks to be less of, a, less of a, a signal in the future that works still well is if you have a good fucking article in the first place, right? <laughs> and a good angle, something, you, something worth you know, sharing, and you reach out to friends of yours and say, hey, check it out. What do you think? Or reach out to people you've mentioned in the post. You might get a few fucking backlinks out of it. So, I mean, to talk just about my small example and small world, I get good backlinks from my episodes when people like the episode and they just share it in a blog and say, oh, yeah, check it out, whatever. So I would get like 5, 10, 15 referring domains back to to the page. And honestly, for most for most topics, sometimes it's enough to rank for it, even if it's just an episode page, it doesn't have any good content on it. It's yeah. just a transcript. So I guess the, the core of it is going back to what we said about niche and positioning. Uh, if you have something to say, if you have fire in your belly about it, if, if you're never going to be tired about this fucking topic, mm-hmm. and if you care enough to write good shit, yes, it will require for you to promote it and reach out to folks and whatnot, but you are, you are going to have more chance to get links and therefore to rank and to be shown to Google, right? Yeah, and you're going to be energized to write that extra guest post or, you know, send those extra 10 outreach emails it requires to get a yes for a guest post. Um, I think it's all about energizing, finding those things that you're actually motivated to do. Um, I know another thing that you're pretty big into is, is your email list. I mean, when when folks land on your site, the first thing they see is your face. The second thing they see is the, is the email opt-in form, right? So you mm-hmm. make it quite obvious that you know, what you want from people at the end of the day is if they're really into it, they can subscribe to your blog. Uh, part of your blog post as well is like you insert a lot of forms into your blog post to making sure that people can subscribe. So I know that this is something a lot of people talk about, like you need to build an email list. Everyone says that. Why do you think it's the case? Why do you build an email list on your site? I mean, I'm still, I'm still pretty early on as far as what you would consider monetizing an email list. It's not really something that I've been an expert at making money from my list. I've just been like sort of in this very long six-year phase of building a relationship with the readers on my email list. And I think that that's, that's the approach that honestly lends to the best kind of you know relationship with subscribers on your email list, people on your blog. I get tons of content ideas from people on my email list. I'll send 
you know, surveys out and see like, hey, what do you want to hear from me on? Um, and, uh, you know, occasionally say like once a year, once every two years, looking at my real track record, that'll turn into some sort of like paid product, like a course or something like that. Um, but I don't do like affiliate offers to my email list. I've always been like, I personally don't like slimy salespeople or people that are like sending a shitload of emails promoting their product um, at all times. Or, you know, within seven days of joining the list, you get a, a drip series of pitches on why you should buy this course. Um, <laughs> I'm personally kind of averse to that sort of selling stuff. So I really use my email list as a place to kind of fuel the content to build a genuine relationship with my readers. Um, and you'll see on a lot of my blog posts, as soon as I send out an email about something new, I'll get like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, um, sometimes even a couple hundred comments um, within the first few days of something even going up. So it's it's kind of a way for me to just gauge the you know potential popularity of a topic to occasionally validate product ideas. Um, but it's not something I've been super um, thoughtful about monetizing mainly because I don't love when I'm like hardcore sold by other people. So I kind of have this approach of like just letting people know about new content that gets published. Um, and within the content, then I'll have other types of calls to action, um, you know, free templates, free downloadable resources, um, the occasional paid course too, when there's like a, a natural connection to the topics at hand. So you say you send survey to, to, to your list, which I completely agree with you. I do that uh, even if I have 1% or 2% of the size of your list, uh, I still have like people listening, do subscribe. And I do like to send a few questions sometimes. So what would be, you mentioned one, but what would be your top three questions you like to ask people? Ooh, well, one is definitely um, kind of geared towards like content ideas for myself. That's right. the one selfish question I like to ask. Um, <laughs> but the other one is honestly, like I like to hear what kinds of businesses people are launching themselves who are on my blog. So, you know, I, I have such a wide range of people that come to my site, freelancers, marketers, bloggers, um, side hustlers, that one of the big questions for me is like, you know, how would you categorize your business? So there's usually, those are kind of the four big buckets that I'll ask people to check off. Um, side hustler, marketer, freelancer, blogger, um, and, you know, actually giving people a form field to tell me about their business they're working on, link to their website. Um, those are the kinds of things that I find really meaningful to read. Um, I gather really interesting insights too about the the types of people that are coming by, what they're interested in, what they're motivated by. Um, and yeah, that's that's the other, the, the final question is like, why? I, I'm really curious about the why behind people's businesses. So what you want to start, why, um, and then how I can help with with more content. Yeah, what, what you're doing is seems a bit like uh, what uh, Ryan Levesque talked about in his Ask Method book, which is quite good. I think it's quite qualitative. So it teaches people to put in different buckets what they want to achieve. And then you seem to layer that with some sort of a psychographic element of, yeah, why? Why why do they give a shit? Why do they want to be the side hustle? And the difference of why can actually turn your marketing into like a different bucket as well. If someone wants to start a side hustle to be a fucking millionaire versus someone who wants to start <laughs> a side hustle to sustain himself or herself, I suspect that the articles, uh, different articles might make them happier than others, right? So interesting to know that um 
I think I've quizzed you enough on this step-by-step. We've talked about a few topics. I'm glad you mentioned a few things that are usually not really mentioned in the world of blogging. So thanks for, for going through that with me. On the back of that, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? I think by far, you know, the best skill that I would recommend is, is uh, and this might be a surprising one, but I think video production would be the number one skill that I would recommend, that I wish I was better at today. Um, and that's, you know, everything from the ability to like outline what a good video could be, um, not scripting something because I think the scripted stuff turns out pretty shitty because um, it's obviously that you're reading something. But I think if you can get train yourself to get good at outlining what a video should cover, um, pull in relevant examples to support each point and put together a, you know, cohesive narrative for a five minute, 10 minute YouTube video um, edit that together. That's a pretty useful skill set for marketers today. Um, I think that, you know, learning to code is always going to be useful. Um, but I think the video is kind of becoming the next big wave, um, that I'm seeing, uh, a lot of content marketers being rewarded for. So if you can, if you can very affordably do that yourself, um, and do it quickly, that's a crazy useful skill. Nice one. I don't think it's been mentioned once. Uh, so that's interesting to hear that uh, from you. And I would concur as well. I wish I had time to do YouTube videos. Uh, I have a lot of shit to say, as you might notice. But yeah, it is time consuming. And uh, as, as I was in your position, like working full time, having that as a side project, it's something that I will do for sure, but don't have time right now. On the back of that, what are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners today? So could be blog posts, could be articles, webinars, podcasts, conferences, YouTube channels, whatever. Mm. You mean you mean specific places to go and learn more or content mediums to create in yourself? I mean to learn more. Like what are the resources you'd really recommend, like that you keep coming back to yourself, that you really love, that you recommend to our listeners? Yeah. So I, I do have one self-plug I would give. I I recently published my own personal guide to guest blogging, and it's ridiculously long. I'm working on putting it into like video format, audio format, and an ebook for people to read offline, taking my own advice here a little bit. Uh, so it'll happen soon. Hold me accountable for that. But honestly, I, I spend so much time using Ahrefs, um, which I'm sure the marketers out there are familiar with, ahrefs.com. Um, their blog is ridiculously helpful. You want to talk about a company that's amazing at video also. Um, their YouTube channel is freaking ridiculous. They produce such good content um, very regularly. So I would just check them out for both as an example of someone who's doing content amazingly well and what their actual content covers. I think they're very good from like the, you know, SEO technical marketing standpoint. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in this world myself right now with SEO. So Brian Dean also um, is someone who uh, backlinko.com is someone who I follow religiously, um, might set his blog as my homepage one of these days, just because I read it so oftenly. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'd recommend. Nice. Yeah. And thanks for, for the, the plug. Cause usually guests are too nice that they don't want to mention their stuff. And I'm like, come on, like, it's okay. You know, you've, <laughs> you, you've been talking for 50 minutes, 55 minutes, giving good value, like feel free. That's what it is for. Uh, so yeah, and I, I can feel how your strategy is really trying to like, not mimic, but using the learnings from Backlinko in terms of like, 
the skyscraper technique and all those long form of content. So nice to see the, the connection between those two things. So Ryan, you've been a pleasure to talk to. Thanks for sharing your secrets, or at least the things that are not talked about that much in this blogging uh, world. Where can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Everything can be found at my home base, ryrob.com, R-Y-R-O-B.com. I'm always super accessible to emails, an easy way to reach me. I'm just ryan at ryrob.com. Fabulous. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also... Uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.